now, eh? Uh, just before we, uh, we turn to God's Word again, um, I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts just about coronavirus. I think we, we can't avoid it, and so it's right that we, we share some information. We, we're, we're just very aware. Hopefully most of you will have picked up the email last night that was sent out uh, just about some additional precautions we're taking as we gather together. Um, but we are aware of the growing concern there seems to be about the uncertainty um, about how this is progressing. But, but we want to declare our trust in, in our God, uh, for whom none of this is a surprise. It, it's taken many of us by surprise, taken many world authorities by surprise. Our sovereign God is not surprised by this. Um, and so uh, in, in light of that, we, we'll continue to meet together, uh, but we are encouraging some, just some practical precautions that are, that are wise practice for us. Uh, so as you'll have noted, um, and it's very difficult for some of us, but we're going to try to limit uh, physical interaction with each other. So handshaking, uh, just spatial awareness, uh, just be aware of the, these are just good governmental guidelines. So we're follow, following those. Um, in the, the toilets in the hall, um, the, there is hot water with uh, soap. So please do wash your hands as you enter and before you leave, um, whether that's even to go in for coffee, I'd encourage you to do that on the way through. Uh, if you're feeling unwell or, or if it, for any reason you don't wish to attend services, please uh, know that you have the freedom to stay at home. Uh, but all that we would ask is that you tell us that you're doing so, so that we can know if there's ways that we can provide for support you and your family, uh, very practically, as well as anything spiritual that we can provide um, in those moments. <clears throat> uh, practically then, in terms of how we meet, Tim has already mentioned, um, we'll do retiring offerings for the, for the next wee while. Uh, so just if you give um, with physical cash, uh, please do just do that in the box at the back. Um, in terms of communion, uh, just so that I don't have to explain this later, uh, we'll have tables at the front here, and so I'll encourage you to come up uh, to take your square of bread. We're back to squares. Uh, take your square of bread and your cup and go back to your seat, reflect on what we're doing, and then um, and we can take of that together. Uh, in terms then of refreshments, um, I've been asked by uh, some very authoritative folks in the kitchen, David Johnson, um, that, that uh, parents can, can parents get their biscuits for the kids and bring them to the kids. Uh, David has tongs, and he is not afraid to smack hands that reach. Uh, so please do just, we're just trying to encourage some good practice. Um, we'll, of course, keep you updated um, on, on any changes that need to be made or any additional things to be aware of. So please keep an eye on emails or on messages that might come through. Um, but but can, I do, can I make clear that, that we are suggesting all of this advice uh, motivated by by a biblical sense of love for our neighbor, of, of care for one another, uh, as well as seeking to be a witness to a world that watches on of how we trust in our God in these times. That, that we are not motivated by fear. We're not wanting to fall into the panic that seems to be settling in uh, to a certain degree. But, but we are thankful to our good God. And we are thankful for his provision of wise leadership, of, of skilled medical expertise, of, of staff in, in hospital settings and, and others that will look after us. And we continue to seek him in these days of confusion. And so what I would like to do is uh, just to give us a time of, of prayer. Uh, you might just want to re- reflect quietly. Uh, there may be folks that you know that you want to specifically be bringing to, to our Father. Uh, maybe you want to be praying, as Tim has led us already, and uh, for wisdom for our government, for, um, for wisdom for us as we seek to make wise decisions on on how we lead and spiritually care for one another here. Um, so, so let's just have a time of quiet. If you would like to share a prayer out loud, then please feel free to do that. Uh, and then I'll, I'll close uh, this slot in prayer, and then we'll, we'll look at God's word in a bit more detail. Um, so let's pray together.
Our Father, as we as we look around and see uh, where it seems like the, the the very foundation of some people's lives are being shaken, uh, God, we praise you as your people that we stand on you, our rock, that you are our sovereign God in whom we trust, and God, that 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 nothing that happens. Uh, is outside of your knowledge, outside of your control. And so we praise you, Father, for your sovereignty. And God, it's in your sovereignty that we can trust. Um, yes, yes. From, from our point of view, we don't know what the future holds, but we thank you that you do. And so in these days of, of, of newness for many of us, of a different experience, from a break from the norm, um, God, we, we do... Uh, echo Tim's prayer for wise leadership in these days. Would you bestow upon those who, who are making decisions that impact all of us uh, a real sense of, of godly perspective and, and wisdom and care and a deep desire to, to love one another. God, we do pray for uh, medical staff who will be dealing with uh, unprecedented experiences, unprecedented pressures. Uh, God, would you give wisdom? Would you Would you bring a sense of your wonderful peace and calm. We pray for your people who inhabit the hallways and, and, and wards of, of hospitals. Uh, God, would you allow them and equip them to be uh, agents of peace and calm and, and, and wisdom and love. God, would you help us as we do seek to witness uh, to you, our sovereign and loving God. Help us to do that wisely. Help us to be loving to our neighbors. Help us to be winsome in how we speak of you in these days. God, in in all things, we ask, God, that you would be glorified. You are still worthy to be praised. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us as your people to do that, to live our lives in a way that points people to you, uh, to make decisions, to, uh, to embody attitudes, Father, that are glorifying to you. And so in your name we pray. And Father, for those who, who do need uh, a special touch from you, we do pray for, uh, for those who are feeling particularly vulnerable, feeling uh, that sense of, of fear and panic. God, would you, would you presence yourself so tangibly with them? Help them to know, Father, your ultimate plan and purpose. And it's in your wonderful name, Father. Your saving name, your, your loving name, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, do do continue to, to speak to uh, any of us if you do have concerns or thoughts about uh, about any of this. We'd love to help guide us all through uh, this season. So, uh, as I, as I mentioned, we're going to turn this morning and, and think about the church, and we're going to do so um, in a slightly different way than we've done before. And, and let me try to set this up in this way, which might sound strange. Uh, I wonder if you're familiar with the the series of books and the websites um, that are for dummies. So it's such and such for dummies. Some of you might be very familiar. <laughs> You've got a whole collection on your shelf. Um, but if you, if, you haven't, if you haven't experienced this, as I was searching this week, it turns out that you can basically get a starter guide, which is what these things are. Uh, a starter guide for pretty much everything. In fact, at my last search, there was 2,505 different titles of books or websites or apps that are for dummies. And let's just look at a few of them. So you've got Fortnite for dummies. I don't even know what, I mean, I know what Fortnite is, but that's about it. I would need to read the 240 pages that is contained within that volume. Auto Repair is one of the biggest. This is the second edition of Auto Repair. 576 pages of Auto Repair advice. 
then we've got uh, your baby's first year. <laughs> it's a bit too late for some of us. Uh, 384 pages of your baby's first year. What I don't appreciate is dad's guide to baby's first year is 480 pages. I don't know why we feel like dads need more help and guidance, or, or maybe we know exactly why that is. Um, and so the, the, there are hundreds of titles, and within those titles there are obviously some relating to faith and belief. And so there's atheism for dummies, there's the Bible for dummies, Christianity for dummies, and actually the, the contents page of Christianity for dummies actually looks really helpful. <laughs> might get a few copies. Um, but, but I think that one of the things that, that all of these titles and the, the seeming unending success of this series uh, shows us is the, the value of trying to see things that we think are complicated, but making them really simple. And I wonder, do we sometimes make out or think that, that the Christian faith is more complicated than it is, or, or maybe more complicated than it should be? Uh, I wonder if we need to take the opportunity to, to think about what it is that we're really doing as Christians, why we do those things, and, and, and then thinking for us, how do we practice our Christian faith here as Gilnerhurk Baptist Church? Um, now, now, please hear me, I'm not in any way claiming that anyone's a dummy in this room. Uh, I wasn't going to call this series... Gilnerhurk Baptist for dummies. Um, but, uh, but what I am suggesting is that it might be helpful every now and again uh, to stop to reflect on some of the core things that we believe, uh, some of the regular practices that we engage with, and, and ask some very simple questions. What are they? Why do we do them? And how do we practice them here as Gilnerhurk Baptist Church? And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be taking, God willing, we're going to be taking a, a different tactic with our Sunday morning. Um, as I said earlier, we normally work our way through a passage of, of Scripture or, or a, a huge chunk of the Bible uh, and try to mine the depths of what God might be saying in that very specific text. Um, but over these three weeks, we're, we're going to take a bit of a wider angle look at Scripture uh, to help us appreciate some of the things that we might be tempted to take for granted in our day-to-day Christian life, certainly in our day-to-day and week-by-week church life. And so for these three weeks, we're going to ask these what, why, and how questions of the church of baptism and of communion. The church, baptism and communion, what are they? Why do we do them? And how do we practice them here? Uh, And I realize that there may be way more topics that you would like to explore under those headings. What is it? Why do we do it? How do we do it? Uh, And so if there are things, questions about your walk with God, questions about us collectively as a local church, what is that thing? Why do we do it like that? And how do we do it here? Um, then please do, do bring the, this could well be a format that we return to with a few other different subjects in mind. But today we're going to start with the church. So what is the church? Why do we do church? And how do we do it here uh, in Gilnerhurt Baptist? Um, so what is the church? Well, hopefully it's, it's not a surprise to, to you that the term, even the very physical term, the church, uh, is used today because we find it throughout the New Testament. It is a biblical, uh, a biblical term. It's generally based on the, the New Testament use of a Greek word, ecclesia. And, and ecclesia would have been a common language word within the first century. Uh, and generally in Greek, it would have meant uh, this kind of gathering of ones that had been called out. So called out ones gathered as an ecclesia. So it could have been a group within society or, or a, a, a governmental thing, but gr- so a group of people who were called out. And so the early Christians would have understood that term to represent the fact that they had been called out by God to receive his grace, to fulfill his purpose for their lives. And it was also a a term that was used in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Uh, And so um, 
early Christians who were familiar with that Greek Old Testament uh, would have known and, and recognized that term. And in the Old Testament, it was used to, to describe a gathering or an assembly. And so when you put those two things together, you get an understanding of Ecclesia, the church, as an assembly, a gathering of called out ones. And so the church you know, takes on a term and used throughout the New Testament and has been used since that day. And so before we look at a few specific examples, it's helpful to note that there, there is an understanding of, of the church as an assembly of God's people in one place, a local gathering of God's called out ones in that local place. But it's also helpful to see the universal dimension to that term. The church is made up of everyone around the world who calls on the name of the Lord as their saviour. And so that's why we see in the New Testament, Paul writes his letters uh, and he addresses them to the church of God in Corinth, to the churches in Galatia, to the church of the Thessalonians. These are local expressions of the church. But we also see throughout the New Testament the church being used to describe this, this one entity of how we are all united together in one entity under Christ our head. And so the church needs to be understood in that universal as well as that local sense. It is the universal community of of believers in Jesus Christ. And the church is also the local gathering of believers that takes place in a specific area. So we are the church gathered here in Gilnahirk Baptist. And as we gather, we are part of the universal church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Another thing that might be helpful to note is that we often talk about going to church or, or meeting at church. I go to work at church. Uh, as if the church is the physical building in which we sit. Now, of course, there's a reality to that. We, we are currently in the building, which is the physical home of the gathered assembly of Gilnerhurk Baptist Church. I, I understand those terms. Uh, but it is so important that we see that the building is not the church in a biblical sense. You see, in, in both the universal and the local understanding of the church from Scripture, we see of, in every occasion it's talking about the people. And we'll get into this in more detail when we look at some specific passages, but it's important that we don't lose sight of the reality that the church is the people of God gathered. It is not necessarily the building that they meet in. Because if we lose sight of that, then we miss the reality that we are as much church when we go from this place as we are when we gather. So if we think that church is just for the hour and a half on a Sunday morning, then what is the rest of our week? Well, we are God's people when we gather here. And when we scatter, we are just as much God's people on a random Tuesday morning as we are when we gather here on Sundays. So we gather as God's people. We scatter as God's people. And so we we can't lose sight and we can't pin all of our understanding of the church on this physical space. Maybe that's a few helpful pointers to to start our discussion about what is the church. But let's dive into God's word. Uh, Let's see. Uh, with what, what, what we can see so clearly uh, through his word about what the church truly is. There's a, there's a number of, of images that we're given which speak of the church, uh, word pictures throughout the New Testament that, that help us to understand and appreciate what the church is and, and what its purpose is. And we'll not have time to cover all of those pictures, all of those examples, and so I just want to mention a few. Uh, I want to start in Acts chapter 20. Um, if you're going to follow along, then great. We might do a bit of bouncing about, so it might be tricky. Most of the text will appear on the screen, or maybe even jot them down so that you can look them up later on. So Acts 20, 28, we see this. So this is Paul giving his, uh, his kind of final words. His, well, the, the title in the NIV is his farewell to the Ephesian elders. So he's leaving Ephesus, and these are his final words 
to those that he has gathered to help lead the church in Ephesus. And he says in verse 28 of chapter 20, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the truth of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, Now, this is one place where we see the picture of the church as a flock. If the leaders of the church are shepherds, then they are to guide and watch over the sheep with with diligence, with sincerity. Uh, And it's a picture that's repeated so many other places, including, of course, in the Old Testament, um, well-known passages like Psalm 23, where we see God as the shepherd leading his people. In the New Testament, of course, we see Jesus repeat this as he explains that he is the good shepherd in John 10. He is the good shepherd, the flock who know him, the flock who follow him. And, and this language of shepherds and flock, it continues um, when, when Jesus encounters Peter on the beach after he is resurrected in John 21. Uh, three times this language is repeated. Jesus says to Peter, well, Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Three times we see this idea, Peter, you're a shepherd. So it's no surprise then when Peter is writing his letter in 1 Peter 5, he talks to church elders in exactly the same way. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. There's clearly an image here that God wants us to understand. We as the church are his flock. He is our good shepherd. And he appoints under shepherds to look after, to care for, to help the flock and to help the flock to flourish in him, the good shepherd. So that's our, that's our first image. If we're thinking about what is the church, the church is a flock. Another biblical image that we see is, is of a family coming together. And so in Romans chapter 8, we read these wonderful words um, in verses 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So in other words, every Christian is adopted into the family of God, welcomed into this loving relationship with our Father, our Abba, Father. And therefore, we're not only welcomed into a relationship with him, but with one another. If we're all children of God, then spiritually we're all brothers and sisters together. It's a, it's a wonderful reality. It's challenging at times, but it is a wonderful reality. It's, it, and it's why the New Testament contains so many references to how we should relate to and treat one another. Not just because we're, we're randomly mixed together as, as members of some kind of social club, but no, we are family. We are brothers and sisters and family matters. God's family matters. And so as a church, we are, we are a spiritual family. And that That is true, not just here locally, but also universally, also globally. That's why we care for one another in in practical and sacrificial ways. It's why we pray for global mission. It's why we we pray for those brothers and sisters around the world who don't have the freedom to meet that we have. Not just because we're all under the same banner, but because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we are family together. So what is the church? The church is a flock. The church is a family And there are many more pictures that we could mention. The the church is a holy people. The church is a temple. The church is a bride. But we're just going to focus on one more. And that's the picture of the church as a body. And and these passages, um, or this passage might be familiar to to many of us. It's a little bit longer than the others. 
but it is definitely worth reading to get a a wonderful insight into the depth of relationship uh, that God calls his people to as his body. And so I am going to read these verses from uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12, working our way the whole way through to verse 27. Um, I'll not comment too much on them because I think they say enough. If we're thinking about what is the church, the church is a body. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul explains, inspired by the Spirit. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And so the body is not not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. There is so much that we could explore here. It's so rich in meaning, so, so intense in, in its insight. But for now, though, let's simply appreciate the image of the whole church as Christ's body, especially when we view it through that lens of what is the church? Well, the church, according to Scripture, is Christ's body. Well, well what does that show? Well, firstly, it's clear that the body is drawn together by God himself. It's made up of parts that are complex and different and specific and unique, yet together they create something remarkable. And in that, there is no part of the body that is more special, more valuable, more significant than any other, but rather there is a spiritual unity that holds the body together, bounded by its dependence on each other, but more importantly, its dependence on its head, Christ. And this unity, which we see throughout these words that we've read in 1 Corinthians 12, it sounds so straightforward when we, when we understand it in that body image, doesn't it? I mean, of course the eyes need the hand. Of course the head needs the feet. And of course the body works to its full potential when all those parts move in the same direction with the same purpose. Of course that makes logical sense. And so it is with us. That's what God is saying to us through his word. So it is with us. His church, the church of Christ, should enjoy that same sense of unity because we are so intrinsically connected to each other, so dependent upon each other, whatever part of the body we might be, but God has drawn us together under him so that we can fulfill his purpose. So so what is the church? Well, Well, God illustrates his design for the church in many ways, including these images. The church is a flock, 
The church is a family. The church is a body. And, and it's surely intentional that in each of those images we get a picture that the whole entity is greater than the sum of its parts. In each of the biblical images of the church we see a, a real depth of relationship, a, a unity of purpose, a valuing of one another that, that shows that Christian life is not designed to be lived out in isolation, but rather in deep, meaningful, life-shaping relationships with one another. But before we we move on to think about why we do church and how we do it specifically here, let let me rewind to consider a statement from Jesus which we should hold front and center in this whole uh, conversation. It it comes in Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's asking his disciples, "Who who do people say that I am? And so they give some responses and then Jesus said, but who do you? What about you? Who do you say I am? And we see Peter respond, not surprising that Peter is the first to open his mouth. Peter responds in Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, yes, Peter, you've got it. And on the back of that proclamation of Jesus' true identity, Jesus then says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, Jesus promises that on the foundation of the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God, that on the basis of that, that he, Jesus, will build his church. Jesus builds his church. Jesus grows his church. Jesus is the head of his church. And so as we consider the church universally and locally, let's never lose sight that we are part of Christ's church. This is not, this is not our church. In, in the sense that we have control over what God does here. Now, this is, this is Jesus' church, and he will build it. And not only that, the gates of hell have no chance of standing against it. You see, as followers of Jesus, as parts of his body, we're on the winning side of this, this cosmic eternal battle against sin and death. We are on the winning side because Jesus has promised that he will build his church, and the gates of hell have no chance of standing against it. This should encourage us. Yes, I understand we hear the, the statistics of, of church decline. We hear the, the, the culture that so negatively sometimes approaches and, and appreciates the church. But Jesus will build his church. The gates of hell cannot stand against it, will not overcome it. See, church, we need to be encouraged in a world where, where we sometimes fear the future of the church. No, this is Jesus' church. He will build it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so our role is to continue as his flock, continue as his family, continue as his body, faithfully following him, allowing him to build his church. The king is still on the throne. And so he will continue to build his church in a way that that brings him glory. So, so, So there's a starter for what is the church. The church is is the universal body of those who follow Jesus, locally expressed through gatherings of people just like this, people who who are to treat one another like like fellow sheep in a flock, like fellow members of a family, like fellow parts of a body. And all of that is taking place in the recognition that we are part of Christ's church and he will build his church. He will continue to build it until he comes again in his victorious glory. So that's what is the church. 
and maybe it sounds counterintuitive to then move on to the question, well then why do we do church? But I hope you see that those are the pictures of what the church is. Well then, then why do we gather like this? Why do we gather corporately? Why do we continue to care for one another, be connected to one another way beyond just these gatherings and way beyond just these walls? Well, in some ways, the simple answer as to why we do church is because God commands us to. Biblically speaking, the answer for why we do church is because God tells us to. We are his family, we are his flock, we are his body, and so we are to be that together. And so when we read through the book of Acts particularly, we see a pattern of gatherings of Christians emerging which call themselves churches. And, and we read this earlier in Acts 2, where the pattern uh, seems to start or certainly kicks on a gear. And we see that, that when Peter stands up to address the crowd who have gathered in Jerusalem for a religious festival, uh, the Holy Spirit has fallen on those apostles. And, and so they spread out into this city. They share this wonderful good news of Jesus. And, and as they do, and on hearing this wonderful message we read earlier in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And so Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And he goes on. And then we see in verse 41 and 42, and, and I understand it's divided in the NIV by that paragraph block, but when we read it together as it was written, uh, we see a wonderful, wonderful example. There, those in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. See, we see that those who believe in Jesus, those who become Christians, they are added to the number. In essence, they join the church. And in joining the church, it seems to mean a devotion to meeting together for teaching, for worship, for fellowship, for witnessing. As I mentioned, we dealt with these passages, particularly verse 42 to 47. Uh, it was the 23rd of September, 2018. If you want to look back online or on the podcast, they're still available. Please do check that out for more detail. But the, the point that at this stage is to recognize that from the moment people began to follow Jesus, they did that together. And so we continue through Acts, indeed through the, the whole of the New Testament, and we see evidence of people gathering together as the church to continue those purposes, teaching fellowship, worship, and witnessing. That's, that's, that's what the apostles were setting out to establish as they journeyed the whole way through the Mediterranean all the way to Europe. It's what the letters to the churches show an increasing desire for and instruction on, on how we do these things, these teaching, fellowship, worship, and witness. Indeed, it's the very essence of what Jesus commissioned his followers to do in some of his last words to them in Matthew 28. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. And it seems that from then on, the primary and normative way in which that was done was in community together with other believers as churches. So why do we do church? Well, we do church because it's the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern shows that God's people meet regularly. But, but we don't just meet for the sake of meeting. We meet, there's an intense purpose in our gathering. Not only is it for the teaching fellowship, the worship and the witness that we talked about, but we made reference to it a little bit earlier. The vast number of one another commands that are in the New Testament show that our times together as gathered church, our relationships with one another 
should have an impact that goes way beyond the times that we spend here. So, for example, John 13, we see Jesus say, A new command I give you, love one another. And as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, why do we do church? Well, we do church because the depth of relationships we share as brothers and sisters compels us to. Because we love one another and we love one another in the way that Jesus loved us. And and how did Jesus love us? Well, he made himself present. He left heaven to come to earth. He, He came to humanity to take the penalty and the weight of sin. And how does Jesus continue to show his love? Well, he he sends his spirit to abide in us. See, our God is a relational God. And so his people should be relational people. So, So why do we do church in this gathered way? It's a biblical command. But even that is not the end of the story. We don't just gather and love one another in a way that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. No, there's an intensity to that too. See, as, as children of God, as family members together, we, we continue to grow and develop and mature in our knowledge of him. So he's continuing to, to work in his spirit, in our hearts, to transform us more and more into his likeness. And there's so many examples through the New Testament of how we do that together, how we spur one another on together. We seem to quote this verse a lot, but it's Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us continue, or let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, we, we spur one another on. Can you see how crucial we are to each other's maturing of our faith? We spur one another on. Yes, it is God's work in us. Yes, absolutely. But very often it seems that he uses us as his flock, as his family, as his body, to do that work in us through his spirit. And so it's through the example of others, through the encouragement of others, through the accountability with others, that God works by his spirit in our hearts to draw us closer to him. Of course, he's not confined to that method. He's God. He can work. His spirit is at work way beyond our our hearts between Sunday to Sunday. I understand that. But he often chooses to work in this way by drawing us together because that's how he's designed us to be as relational people. We are his flock, his family, his body. And so we meet together with the purpose of spurring one another on as we worship him together. And of course, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. And that echoes what we read in Ephesians 4, where where one of the purposes of Jesus through his church is to equip his people for works of service. So so our spurring one another on, our encouraging one another, is not just for the benefit of, of ourselves as we meet, but it is also to impact our lives in such a way, it's to, to mature our faith to such a degree that, that our lives beyond these gatherings point other people to Jesus. So, so why do we do church? Well, primarily because it is biblically commanded, it is biblically demonstrated. As we gather together, we experience the rich blessing of God displayed by his work in our lives through one another. 
And, and then we are active participants in one another's maturing in our faith. And through our gathering, through our scattering, we demonstrate the love of Christ to a world that watches on. So what is the church? Why do we do church? And then very quickly, I'm just going to mention a couple of things about how we do church here in, in Gilnerhurt Baptist. Essentially, this is where the, the rubber hits the road and the, the practical outworking of some of that biblical teaching that we've just seen. Um, but, but questions maybe of how do we function here? Um, how are we structured, maybe? Um, how, how do you commit yourself to being part of the community here? Well, in terms of function and, and how we work out this biblical teaching that we've looked at, will we hold our Sunday gatherings here where, where we seek to engage in these practices that we saw in Acts 2, 42 to 47? We gather for teaching, we gather for fellowship, we gather for worship, uh, and we gather to witness, we gather to, to share the Lord's Supper together as we'll do in a few moments. We also gather and, and we practice believers' baptism here whereby believers in Jesus make a public declaration of their faith. Um, by being immersed in water, I'm standing on the tank uh, with a solid floor, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and so we, we, we publicly display this wonderful inner transformation that has taken place and this spiritual new birth um, through believers' baptism. I'm going to spend a whole Sunday on that, so we'll not do too much more on that now. In terms of, of structure, um, well, we, we follow what we see as the example laid out in the New Testament in terms of having two offices in the church, elders and deacons. And we see those roles described for us in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. Um, again, I could say much, much more, but I'll not now. Um, in addition to that, then we practice formal church membership where you can choose to, to covenant yourself to, to committing to this fellowship. And it gives us as a family here an assurance of who calls this place their spiritual home. It enables a greater degree of accountability with one another as we seek to walk and mature in our faith as we've discussed. It gives a sense of belonging and involvement. It provides an avenue of service in God's work as you are free then to test your abilities, your gifting under some guidance. And it entitles you to have a say in important matters of church life. So issues of, of calling pastors, of electing elders and deacons. Um, now let me just be clear, whether you're an official member with us or not, you are welcome here. You're welcome to meet with us. You're welcome to pray with us. You're welcome to share the Lord's Supper with us. Um, but, but I would encourage you to consider church membership. If, if you're not a member and you, you regularly worship here and God is calling you to, to commit yourself to being here, uh, then please do speak to me or one of the elders afterwards. We'd love to, to talk that through with you and discuss um, and hopefully answer any questions you might have about what that might mean. Um, the, the, again, there's much more we could say on that. Um, I'll save that for another day. Because what, what we're really trying to think through is, well, what is the church? Why do we do church? And how do we practice that here in Gilnark? Well, hopefully we can see with a little bit more clarity this morning that the, the church is God's plan for his people here in the world. It is his family, it is his flock, it is his body. Should I say we are his family? We are his flock, we are his body. We are his ambassadors here as we seek to, to grow and know God together and know one another more deeply. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Spur one another on to greater affection for Jesus in ways that as we gather then when we scatter then our community is impacted by his love and grace. And so we are part of God's church. It is Christ's church. Jesus is our head. And, and so when we gather, 
we come before him in worship. We come before him in adoration because of his saving work in our lives, because of his wonderful salvation plan, because he is coming again in glory. And so we gather and then we scatter as his people. I hope that's been a a helpful starting point, maybe, for some of our thoughts. But what is the church? It is a good gift from God. Why do we do it here? Well, the Bible commands us to. How do we work that out? There's some practical stuff. Of course, is how we, how we do that well. But God is good. And he is continuing to build his church. We pray that he would do that here amongst us as well. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you uh, that, that in, in every way your word shapes our lives. It directs our paths. Uh, it, it forms our opinions and our practices. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to help us to be faithful with your word. God, that we would know uh, with assurance and certainty of, of how you speak to us through it by your spirit. And Lord, this morning we just want to thank you for the church. Uh, God, in a, in a setting where, where there's so many questions um, in our world, uh, thank you, Father, that you have given us the assurance that, uh, that, that where two or three are gathered, you are there. And so we thank you for the gift of your church. We thank you, God, that, that as we have been united with you, united to you with Christ, thank you that in that we are also united to one another. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to, to be a community of people here that, that go way beyond just a casual hello on a Sunday. But, Father, that we would be genuinely involved and interested in one another's lives to the extent that we do spur one another on to love and good deeds. We are equipped for works of service. Father, that we would indeed um, become more of uh, those images of, of a flock together under your shepherding care, of a family who, who relate to one another under you as our head, as a body united in you, following your purposes and your guidance as you lead us. Continue, Father, to work in, in us and amongst us. And we ask, Father, all of these things in your glorious name for the extension of your kingdom, for the growth of your church. Amen.